and uh, welcome again to the Faith Roots podcast and we're continuing our series looking at how do you know which is really a, a doctrine of God's revelation how God speaks to us and over the past few weeks we've been seeing that God's word is sufficient it gives us what we need now, we've seen that it's sufficient to protect uh, God's people uh, to protect us from uh, from wolves. And we've seen that it is sufficient to uh, provide pastoral care, uh, to enable us to be discipled, to be taught and to be cared for and counselled as we face different things in life, particularly as we face struggles and suffering. I want to suggest that it is sufficient for what we call apologetics. Apologetics is about how we respond to questions and objections about belief in God and the gospel. And, and the word comes uh, from uh, um, 1 Peter where, where the Apostle Peter writing to a group of churches says, be always ready to give a reason or an apology for the hope that you have. Traditionally, there have been two types of apologetics that, uh, that evangelists have used. Uh, the first is often known as classical apologetics. And this goes back to a guy called Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas was really the, sort of the father or the granddad of, of modern systematic theology and of apologetics today. Uh, he wrote lots and lots of stuff, getting uh, people of his time to think about who God is and what God is like, and the gospel. Uh, and so that meant, of course, that Aquinas dealt with that big question. How do we know that God really exists? Aquinas believed that we that God exists. You know, Romans 1 seems to point in that direction, that God's existence and something of his character is self-evident to us. Uh, so Aquinas believed that we could reason the existence of God from natural law. Of God. Uh, three of them, there's about five, but two or three of them can be summed up under uh, the argument that there has to be a first It comes from nothing, to quote the uh, Sound of Music song, that we, 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 we can't just got here by chance. What we observe of the world around us. Um, children exist because they have parents. Uh, buildings exist. Built them. Delicious food exists because somebody has cooked it. If we look around and see, we see an, an amazing universe that is great and vast. To a first cause. Um, infinite and eternal. 
that Aquinas then goes on to argue that when we look at the world around us, we see degrees of perfection. Some things are better than others. Some things demonstrate more goodness than others. And so he argued that this first cause must be the most perfect. Uh, the most perfect, most wonderful, most amazing being that you can imagine, and, and that's God. And he also argued that this first cause is necessary. Uh, you and I are contingent. We, we may exist or we may not exist, but because we are dependent on there being the first cause, the first cause is necessary. It's essential that God does exist. Finally, um, Aquinas argued that when you look at this universe and when you look at our lives, you see purpose and order. There's design, there's order, there's a sense of direction that uh, everything has a goal. Designs and orders with purpose in mind. Apologetics is apologetics and, and that looks at what does science tell us but also what does history and archaeology tell us uh, do they tie up with what the bible says uh, so for example um, i've been doing a little teaching series through the book of isaiah recently and there's a bit in isaiah uh, it also appears um, in some of the some of the history books in the bible the Assyrians attack Jerusalem under their emperor, their leader, Sennacherib. Isaiah tells us that the Judean king, Hezekiah, pleads with God and the Assyrian army has to turn back. They're unable to conquer Jerusalem. Sennacherib has to go back to Assyria. His army have to go back with him. It is a revolt and is defeated and deposed and common critics and um, skeptics have said no you can't um, the Assyrians in their annals and records seem to be very clear in the belief that they have defeated Judah and who do you believe the great civilization or the tiny little kingdom If you go to the British Museum in Jerusalem, you will find this fascinating wall relief or this carving that um, has been brought to the British Museum. And it shows the age of a, a minor city in Judah called Lachish. Talk about firstly a bit of imagery. If you want to go and see it, it shows people being impaled on stakes and all kinds of things. Why is that important? Well, the Assyrian practice was to create these reliefs, these carvings, uh, to boast of their victories. And you would expect them to have produced one of the destruction of Judah's capital city of Jerusalem. But no such carvings exist. Instead, uh, we, we settle for the consolation prize of the defeat of this minor city. Called Lakish. 
that evidence that the conquest of Judah had failed and thought they'd had some successes but had not managed uh, to get an ultimate victory. Uh, the modern day equivalent would be, you know, if, if Vladimir Putin wants to boast for, to the Russian people of his conquest of, of uh, Ukraine, is evidence, video footage, of the Russian flag flying. He's having to make do with minor victories in places like Mariupol. So he goes and visits a, an occupied city, but he can't get to Kiev because he's not managed to to win that victory that he promised the Russian people. Evidence of history and archaeology that what the Bible claims is true. We can trust the Bible. On one level, those types of apologetics, both using reason uh, to show why uh, there has to be a God, and evidence from archaeology and science to show why the Bible is reliable and trustworthy, um, has a part to play. It, it is helpful. But there's a. I want to suggest that there are two problems. One, a little bit more obvious than the other, but the other just as important. If I spent all of my time talking to you um, as a class is appropriate, reason that God existed. Time going, time going through lots of scientific stuff. If I wanted to show uh, not just that the Bible is compatible with, with science, but maybe that we could even go a bit further. And I went to sort of creation science websites. I could give you lots of, lots and lots of stuff. I could take you through the archaeology. Archaeology would show us that the Bible fitted in with the historic claims of the day. It would show us that Isaiah and Chronicles are correct, that Sennacherib wasn't was not able to conquer Jerusalem, it wouldn't actually tell us why, would it? It wouldn't prove that the God of the Bible had acted and that there'd been this miraculous victory. Uh, just as we might be able to find evidence to show things like the crossing of the Red Sea and the Jordan or the walls of Jericho falling down, there was a supernatural God intervening. Similarly, just to recognise that there has to be a greater cause, a greater power, but does it show us that is the triune God, a personal God who is love and who has sent his son to die for us? It still leaves us a long way short. And you may still remain sceptical at that point. 
so we don't get that far. Still got to get you to that next stage of recognising that this is the God who we can know, the God who loves us, the God that we've sinned against, the God who has sent Jesus to bring forgiveness. That's the first issue. The second issue is this, it's, it's what Romans 1 tells us about human nature, uh, that all of these things may be clear and self-evident, that God has revealed who he is in nature around us, but sin causes us to want to suppress the truth, to push it down. It to disagree with it. And what that means is that if I'm presented with evidence, not that I will ever do, evidence fit my prior assumptions or my presuppositions. I will force fit everything that I see and hear and learn into my worldview, into my system, into my way of thinking. Presuppositional apologetics comes in. First of all, presuppositional apologetics says that we have to challenge those presuppositions, the foundations that people build their worldview, their way of thinking, their ideology, their belief system on. And secondly, it says this start with the Bible. The only way that we can know truth is if God reveals it to us in Scripture and through the Holy Spirit bringing that truth into our hearts and convicting us and changing us. That actually evangelism isn't about minds and our reasons, not that we leave those things behind, they are fully involved rational uh, my mind the spirit at work in it is turned away from God and doesn't want to know him Paul Williams uh, doing some training on evangelism he said this where do we want to get people to So we can take them via our apologetics, via our evidence, via our, our um, classical apologetics, our reason. Straight to Jesus. His life, his death and his resurrection. Not to say that we don't draw in all of those proofs and all of the evidence and all of that reasoning. But we get people to Jesus first. Conversation is with him. And then we start to think through their objections, but we let Jesus answer them. Uh, because he realizes that's what Jesus does. A couple of examples. Uh, it's often said that if God exists,
and proof. But that, of course, is what the whole world tells us that God has been doing, showing up to part the Red Sea, showing up to uh, defeat Philistines and giants, uh, showing up to bring his people back from exile. That must have in Jesus. see Jesus walking on the water, when we see Jesus uh, silencing the storm, when we see him being able to multiply food to feed thousands, to heal the sick, back to life, God showing up, all-powerful, infinite and eternal God, but also this promise-keeping, loving and saving God. We have God all the way there. God is true. And, and we're going to do the, the kind of evidential stuff. We're going to show its credibility. But true because this incredible person Jesus who pretty much most people take seriously relied on it as true declared it to be true it's circular well it could be it could become this narrow sort of circularity you've got to believe that the bible is true because the bible says it's true You've got to believe that God has shown up in Jesus because the Bible says that God showed up. And we can trust the Bible because Jesus, the one who it's meant to be proving, says that it is. narrow circularity. What I think we see is, is a couple of things. First of all, we see Jesus relying on the, on, on, on the Bible, on Scripture, in a way that shows that it's the that when Jesus responds to temptation, he answers with Scripture. Jesus being able to face suffering, being able to face the threat of death. He relied on what God's word said and God's promises. This is this is very important. Ultimately, if there is a final authority, then at some point there is a kind of circularity to the argument. So that we rely on. 
famous scientist or historian or philosopher or someone. It could be the broader sort of collection of scientific and academic knowledge that we have. Not today. We tend to believe that I, myself, am my final authority. I, I choose to believe what I what I believe, that truth is relative. About how I feel about it. If I, when I say that I am choosing to believe this or that scientist or historian or philosopher, I am I'm saying that I've been able to make a judgment on whether or not their words are credible and reliable. that my, my is a circular argument. Why do I choose to trust Richard Dawkins? Well, because I believe that Richard Dawkins is trustworthy. People have a final authority. And there comes a point where we have to say, I'm going to listen to this person or that person. is that the Bible that we can truly trust and depend on uh, because of that wider argument that it has demonstrated its credibility over many years but ultimately because I I simply say I'm, I believe it I'm going to accept its authority I'm going to accept God's authority which brings us back to that problem with all these approaches to apologetics. I think apologetics tends to presume that we can master the evidence, master the arguments, master the logic and convince sceptics that we, through our arguments and our reasoning, can warm and bring life and bring belief. We can't. All the best arguments, but if somebody is hardened to God, confidence in me to be the saviour of others with my fine words and my fine arguments and my amazing brain. But my words are not that fine and my brain isn't that it still wouldn't be enough. But it's true. Their own sin and opens their blind eyes. Ritual. We need scripture, we need to use the very means that God has chosen to reveal who he is to us. The Spirit, the people are going to and put their trust.
I encourage you um, to do a bit more reading and thinking and, and practice having a go Genetics, I'd encourage you really to lean into this thing called presuppositional apologetic, apologetics. Most of all, I'd encourage you to start with Jesus. Take people to Jesus. That's where they need to be. And discuss God's word, the written word about the living word.